Father, we just worship your holy name, Lord. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Just by your mercies, Lord, we are here. We are alive, we are good because of your mercies. And your mercies endure forever, Lord. As the psalmist David said, Lord, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We just want to confess that, Lord, today. It doesn't matter what the day began for anybody around the world who is listening. The word of God says for his children, his mercy and his goodness will follow us. One day we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. The very presence of the Father. Now we dwell by faith. We come to you by faith, Lord, and we come at this time and your people into thy hands. One person, if one person is blessed, one person is healed, one person is delivered, one person gets an answer to the question they have today. The word has done its work, Lord. The price of his soul is more than all the wealth of the world, Lord. So, Father, I pray, so even study your word, learn from scripture, to continue to set us free, Lord. Continue to teach us how to walk with God. We are called to walk with God. Teach us how to walk with you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We'll go back to Nehemiah. We did Nehemiah 5, 1 to 5 yesterday we had. See, we have come through stages. We're coming through the, the purpose why we are learning it. It's because, in fact, one of the fundamental reasons of why we study the book of Nehemiah is one of one, it's one book in the Bible which teaches you about godly leadership principles. Nehemiah is in crisis situations. He's an unbelievable leader in a time when things looked impossible. A man who leaves everything that he has, finds favor with God and with man. We say God and man. He needed favor from both. And he had favor with God and with the man that mattered, the king. He travels a long distance. And he makes the impossible possible because he took those steps of faith. But like yesterday we looked, the building is going on, the people are all excited, discouragement is there, but he handles all of that. And then suddenly we see the real problem, which can destroy it all, right? Because we can build all the walls we want, all the structures we want, but if there is discontent, and dissension, and division inside. The whole thing will fall. Whether it's a person, or a home, or a nation, it will fall apart. Even a person. It's very clear. Jesus says a double-minded person. Okay, It's a divided person. Why does a divided person receive nothing? Because Jesus said, a kingdom that is divided, the kingdom of God is within me. And if that kingdom is divided, it cannot stand a double-minded person cannot receive anything from God, and it's it's if you if you ever read uh, Shakespeare's famous tragedy called Hamlet, 
there are very powerful lines in it, but the most well-known for everybody is to be or not to be is the question. He's a divided-minded young guy, the Prince Hamlet. He's never able to take a decision. Okay. Never able to take a decision. By the time he makes a decision and uh, finishes taking his decision, at the end of the play, all you see is a room full of dead bodies. Everybody is dead, including him. Okay, because he's a very indecisive character, very indecisive character. So that's what the Bible is talking about. We can build all the best structures in the world. We can have, if it's a home, we can have an incredible multi-million dollar home with every facility, the best security systems in the world. But the people who live inside are divided. Then nothing will work. It's like we say, the walls are basically and gates are basically defensive measures. Yeah, Defensive measures are good. But let us say if the economy is broken, economy is broken, then what does the nation do? And if the prime example is that, why did the USSR fail? Well, their defense were fantastic. That's why it was called the Iron Curtain. It was fantastic. When the militarily, they were only second to U.S., but their economy was in shambles. Because socialism never grows any economy. It only destroys it. And the economy was in shambles. Ultimately, it collapsed. Did they have good walls? Yes. Very powerful iron walls they had. To cross from one of the blocks to the free world was impossible. They would shoot you dead. Surveillance, everything. Like KGB was one of the best Secret service organizations in the world, but you know, the entire thing collapsed on its own because inside what you had was the economy was gone. And that's a situation we are seeing over here. Walls are being built, gates are being hung, all things are going on, construction is going on, but the problem is, if you look into what is happening with the people inside, they are broken by debt. And it is not that there is in money, there is money. There is money. Like I keep telling pastors, God has never, ever printed notes and sent it from heaven. He doesn't do that. Everything the church needs is there in the church. The only thing is the heart. I remember when I first went to Assam and uh, I preached. First time they called me to preach in the CNI, let's say CSI, CNI, same denomination. It's called Church of Northeast India. They called me to preach. And 20 minutes was given. I preached for 30 minutes or 40 minutes. <coughs> but they were, they were good. I had a translator, of course. I couldn't speak the language. Then I finished those years. And uh, when I went back on a, one of my mission trips, the entire church... They had refurbished, they extended everything. You know? So, when I went them, what they told me very proudly is, Pastor, what you taught, they used to call me Brother James. Brother James, what you taught, we practice. You know what? This is not built from money from America. This is our money which God gave. You always used to tell us when you used to teach, God said, our Father who art in heaven, not our Father who art in America. I said, one of the problems with Indian missions is always you are looking for. And finally, Modi government has come and put the 
hold on everybody's neck and cancel every FCRA. FCRA we can be cancelled, but your mission will never stop if you know God is your father. And not he resides in America, he resides in you and with you. Okay, that's the key. That's the key. Okay, and the problem was that everything they needed was there. <clears throat> but the problem is the heart of the people. So we looked <clears throat> yesterday. What caused it? It was the spirit of mammon. Mammon, we told, is not necessarily money. Money is neutral. Money is neutral. Money doesn't have a character. <coughs> it takes the character of the person who possesses it. And a note, when it passes from one hand to another hand, can change character. Okay. If I am a generous person and Sammy is a miser, if I give it to Sammy, Sammy doesn't, the note, Sammy doesn't, the note doesn't become generous. It becomes immediately miser. On the other hand, he's generous and I'm a miser. It comes to me. The generous note has become a miserly note because it takes the color of the person. The currency is neutral. So you need to realize mammon means gain. It's an Aramic Syriac word which means gain. That is what the spirit of this world is. It's always empowered by what is it in there for me. And it is empowered what we call lust. <clears throat> lust takes. Love gives. The kingdom of God is empowered by love. That's where the Bible's most well-known scripture is. For God so loved the world and gave. The devil's kingdom is empowered by lust. Even if he gives, he gives only to take. And he will always take more than he gives. He might give you everything you want in this life, but he will ultimately take your soul with him. So remember, it's not that he's not a giver, but every giving is motivated by gain. It is not giving for giving's sake. The joy of giving. It is that there is a blessedness in giving. No, he sees the blessedness of taking. He's looking at the profits. That will come in and then only he gives. So please remember, this is the struggle, the transformation that has to take place. Salvation itself is a transformation. We have to move from what we were, the son of a devil, to the son of God. Empowered by lust to empowered by love. Okay, And that's where the promises are given. That's my... My issue is not with the prosperity the pe people preach. My issue is the motive and the spirit behind it. <clears throat> because you have to be very careful. All these promises are there. And from that promises, I can draw from the wealth of God. But I should draw the wealth of God without partaking of the lust of the world. By partaking of his divine nature. That is the issue. That's why the Bible says in Second Peter, we have been given this divine, incredibly precious, exceedingly great and precious promises that by that we partake of the divine nature of God and escape the lust that is in the world. If that is not happening, you know what? I am also using scripture with my lust. I'm claiming this, I'm claiming this, I'm claiming this car, I'm claiming somebody's money, I'm claiming, you know what, I'm just using scripture, the very promises of God, which are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, but what is motivating is, is not love, it is lust, and that was God's indictment about the Pharisees. Did they have missionary zeal? Yes, he said they crossed the seas to make a proselyte, and he makes it double the son of the devil that you are. 
And you will see the zealousness of the Judaizers in the book of Acts. And Paul says, you know, our fathers couldn't bear this yoke. Why are you putting it on the Gentiles? We ourselves, we said, nation is a testimony. The law cannot be carried by anybody. Grace has come. Now on top of grace, you're putting law again. Okay, you need to realize you can have incredible zeal motivated by something wrong. And that's what uh, Saul did. Saul was zealous and killed the Moabites. And then he had to lose three years of famine in uh, in uh, Israel and he had to lose all his grandchildren. You know, So that's what the Bible is talking about. So we have to be very, very careful about That's why we study. We are not just looking at principles. Yes, we need truth. Truth are the principles of God. We need the spirit. The spirit, what motivates us, what empowers us in every situation is what is of God and not of the devil. Because the devil can give you the best principles and give you his spirit. Best principles. If you have any doubts, attend a humanities lecture in a good university. And you will see the power of the principles they teach. And if you can come out of those universities untouched by it, you are, you are safe. You are, you are saved. <laughs> Two of people I know is one is Eric, one is me. We came out of it. We did not look to the left or the right. We stood there. We heard all that garbage and came out. Our faith only grew stronger. It did not get weaker. Okay. We went to the same institute, by the way. <coughs> huh? Yeah. So there are two images, the image of God and the image of the devil. So when the devil gives, he knows he cannot take without giving. Nobody will give you. So he will give you but to take. <clears throat> so you see here, the usury, we saw that, the injustice that is being perpetuated within that community. People are being sold for profit. Okay? And then verse 6 says, that's 1 to 5 we saw, verse 6 says, When I became very angry when I heard their outcry and these words, okay, there should be a righteous indignation when we hear these things happening. We cannot be neutral. We cannot have that information. With the amount of trafficking that is taking place of babies and women, these are big Industries, big, big, huge industries. Nothing shuts these things down. And when we hear these things, if there is not a righteous indignation in us, the, the injustice that is perpetuated on, like the death of the thousands of senior citizens in the homes in New York. You know, they were just you, and then the cover-up that took place, and then he's on pictured as a savior of the COVID hero he was. You look at it and you should get, should be getting mad about it. What are you talking about? You deliberately cost it. Deliberately cost it. So when you hear these things, whatever you hear, whatever touches you, there should be a righteous indignation. We may not have much power to change a situation if you look with your natural eye, but we truly have power to change because we have access to the very throne room of God. That is what the apostles were saying. We are continually giving over ourselves to prayer. Now let us think about it. Simply think about it. This is where people go wrong and we will be indicted one day by the court of heaven. Imagine uh, Dr. Richard is sitting here and he's from Gujarat. 
And there is a situation, really bad situation in Alwal, which can be handled. And because he's from Gujarat, he knows Prime Minister Modi. He actually knows him. Let's think. He has access to him. And he knows if Modi intervenes, the thing will be over in. It can be handled. It can be done. The channel will start moving. So he calls up and he gets his alibi. On the other hand, he doesn't call. It's not my problem that somebody handled it. Think about it. God's children have access to the grace, throne room of grace to God himself. And they do nothing about what is happening in the world. I'm not saying you should be a social activist. I'm saying that you should be a prayer warrior. And that's the issue. That's the major issue. God will have an indictment on the church. He said, you didn't pray. The woman got justice because she wearied out the judge, the unjust judge. Give me justice against my adversary. And people don't pray. People don't pray. You know, people don't pray. And that's, that's our basic indictment. And much things like Alexander Pope, whatever who said it, are wrought in heaven and earth by prayer. And Jesus' entire life was characterized by prayer. And the early church was characterized by prayer. Everybody doesn't have to preach and study the word of God. We do your work for you. It's like I've seen uh, people, friends of mine, when I used to be with them, they used to come from U- U.S. and we were on mission trips and all this thing. They would have stuff where the entire stuff they need for that day's meal is a small tablet or something. And they pop it up and that's enough. And that's what we do. We study the entire scripture and give it to you in dearly concentrated form so that you don't have to sit and study six hours. But what you can do is that you can pray. Everybody can pray. Everybody cannot teach. Everybody do not have the capacity to understand the scripture. So that is a gift given to some people who are called teachers in the body of Christ. But prayer, everybody is called to pray. And that is the church's weakness. And we talk about a revival. We talk about the final outpouring. We talk about an in-gathering. If that has to happen, the role the church will have to play is it will have to pray. And here, when they heard, he heard, he was angry. There's a righteous indignation. The thing is that if you look at verse 1, There was a great outcry of the people and their wives against the Jewish brethren. And verse 6 says, this is not about the Gentiles, it's about the Jews. Okay, I became very angry when I heard their outcry. The question is, do we hear the outcry? Do we hear the outcry? It's the simple question. Okay, Do we hear the outcry? Because months earlier we had heard the, he had heard the state of Jews of Jerusalem, the walls, gates all gone, the distress of the people. He sat down, he wept, he fasted, he prayed, he cried, and then God moved the situation. But now that the construction is going on, and you are so busy with construction, hearing about this is happening, that's happening, getting people to move, do here in front of your house, guards, day and night, everything. But as the leader... His ears are open to the other issues of life of his people too. And he hears, he hears the outcry. And we need to understand sometimes we goof off as the leaders in our own homes because we do not hear the cry of our children or our spouse. We're so busy acquiring things for the house. 
We are so busy with that. We don't hear the outcry. And by the time we hear, it is ready to explode. That's the key. This is, because that's what I'm talking about. These are fundamental principles of any home, any church, any ministry, or any nation. Any nation. That's why in ancient days, the kings, the good kings, always used to wear, camouflage themselves as an ordinary man and walk around the streets to know how my subjects are. And you hear about them, about great kings. They always used to do that. They used to walk around and listen. Am I? Because all these yes men are sitting around and says, King, you are so great, you are so good. Everybody is saying thank you, thank you. So everybody is seem to be saying there's something, there was something wrong. Let me go check out if my people are really happy. And they go out and realize, you know, these guys are fooling everybody. And the people are really unhappy. And the people are all saying the king is good. But the people in the middle are bad. And they will never give us access to the king so that they will be, they will, he will really know what our situation is. You know, in English we say you need to have uh, your ears to the ground. Ears to the ground. And that's what the Bible is talking about. This is all genuine leadership. That's why we are learning. We learn a lot of things if we, if we, if we understand how principles are put there in scripture. And Jesus heard. My, my simple question to, if you read the gospels is that, how come Jesus saw the people and saw their misery and their, their, he had so much compassion on them. Well, the Pharisees were with them for years, much money more years than him. And they never saw anything. And they never bothered about anything. And both were supposed to be in the same ministry. Both were supposed to be in the same ministry. They saw nothing. While he saw and he identified with them and he wept over them. And he had compassion over them. And that's the question God is talking about. Because you cannot hide your head in the sand and wish these problems away. Okay? And when he finds out that this distress is caused by the nobles and the rulers. He got angry. He got very angry. <laughs> we need to understand, okay, there is something in the Bible called righteous anger. Be angry, the Bible says, but do not sin. Be angry. So it's a command, be angry. If I'm not angry, then there is an issue. There is an issue. But you have to look at the issues. You look at the person and you have to look at the issue. Look at the um, person and look at the issue. Let us say, let us give an example, okay? I'm just using an example, not a name. Let's say I hear something about Jyoti. Um, Jyoti is one of the nicest kids in our home. Okay, let's say. And I get, how can Jyoti do that? I get angry. I hear something worse about Mary. And I never get upset with Mary. Never. And she does terrible things. Eligible Mary. Never get upset with her. You know what? She's mentally retarded. So we need to be very, very careful about how we react. Because some people are in bondage. They need deliverance. They need deliverance. You don't get mad with people who need deliverance. That's why it talks about sins needs forgiveness. Wounds need healing. And oppression, those are oppressed of the devil. They need deliverance. So that's where we need discernment. We don't get angry, but we get angry in everything. We get angry with sin. We get angry with sickness. We get angry with the devil. But we deal with situations individually. He got very angry. So we have to, because some issues are so petty, it can be ignored. We don't have to get angry over it. It can be just ignored. But petty issues, we make it into a mountain. And the major issues, we ignore. 
No. So these are important principles in the Bible where we learn from Nehemiah because these how we handle the situation. I mean, it's a classic study of resolving conflict. Three, four, five verses of Nehemiah chapter five can be given as a lecture or an entire year course in psychology and in counseling. The book of Nehemiah. If you go to chapter, uh, yeah, verse six, we saw, and if you go to verse seven, we saw the problems in one to five. What are the problems? Six and seven. I became very angry when I heard their outcry. Okay. And what's the next verse? After serious thought, wait, it's not, there's no serious thought usually. We rebuke. We rebuke. That's not what is written. It's not what is written. It's written after serious thought. What is the point? Point is this. Never make life-changing decisions when emotions are running high. Never, ever make life-changing decisions when emotions are running high. Because emotions are not good masters. They are terrible masters. Masters take decisions. Don't let emotion be your masters. Emotions are very good servants. That's what the Bible says. He took serious thought. He took time off. He took serious thought. It's it's a contradiction. If you look at it, very angry after serious thought. That's not the normal behavior. Very angry and I gave it nicely. Hmm? Firestorm of tweets. Or on the Facebook. Social media. Okay. And that's the issue. I became very angry when I heard that outcry and these words. And after serious thought. What does it mean? I mean, different translations are inter- interesting. Okay. Uh, uh, other translation, I think it's, and I will say, pondered. Yes, we will say, if I, I took counsel with myself. I pondered them in my mind. Pondered means to meditate. Pondered them in the minds. Right? Other one, yes, we will say, I took counsel with myself. What does it mean? What does it mean to ponder? What does it mean to, ponder, to think over? Over it means, look here, you're not going on uh, feelings. You're basing it on facts. I want to know the facts. I want to know the facts. I got very angry and serious thought. He must have taken all the information he has, put it down logically and reached a conclusion. This is true and it needs a solution. And the solution has to be this. So he's not going to make his dis- decision based on feelings. It is going to be based on based on facts. Though feelings are there. Now feeling will be a very good servant. But the decision is going to be based on facts. And this is where people have to understand. This is an incredible, powerful, biblical, divine counseling how to resolve conflict. So never when your emotions are running high, make a life-changing decision. Marriage. Divorce. Okay? Career. Okay, career. Be very, very. Think it over. Ponder. Process it. Okay? Give it serious thought. Give it serious thought. Serious thought. 
Why is it important? It's because if you got it all in order with God, you go with God, you put it all in, in this thing, and when your response comes, verse 8 will say, we'll go back to 7, but verse 8 will say, you know, they were silenced and found nothing to say because you got your facts on your hands. They were silenced. They had nothing to say. You know why? Because you took your time on it. You took your time on it. They were silenced. They had nothing to say. Because you are not trying to win an argument. You are trying to solve a problem. Problem is when you are angry and you immediately get into you. You are not trying to solve a problem. You are trying to win an argument. And the problem is when in a home, in a church, in a nation, nobody wins an argument. Everybody loses. Even if you win the argument, you have lost. Imagine a husband and wife is fighting and the husband wins the argument. What did you lose? You lost your wife. She's not happy. She's miserable. You, I won the argument. But you lose, lost the person. So in homes, in churches, in nations, in ministries, in offices, in organizations, we don't want to win arguments. We want to win people. Not at the cost of truth. Not at the cost of truth. We are looking to solve a problem. So this is, this chapter 5, it's very, very interesting. Okay? On the other, like I said, remember there, do not ever make a life-changing decision when your emotions are running high. Let me put another, flip the coin. On the other hand, faith is not a feeling. And faith is always now. One act of emotion can ruin your entire life. One act of faith now can change your entire life. So when faith comes, don't mistake it for feeling. Faith comes. You don't have to ponder over it. By the time you ponder over it, you will miss your moment. The anointing will gone. The person is gone. When faith is moving, it is always now. But you know what people actually do in the church? They move on feelings and ponder about faith. They ponder about faith and the hour is gone. The hour is gone. Think about all the people who got healed by Jesus. That was their moment. If they had kept silent, if they had impressed through, he probably would have never been passing that way again. That was their moment. They had, they did not give in to feelings. They did not care. Everybody pressed through. They broke through. They harassed him until they got what they wanted. So that was faith. So get this difference between feeling and faith. Because people ponder over faith and act on feelings. Okay? Next thing you see over there is that conflict resolution. You want to resolve a conflict, whether in a home, in a church, in an organization, or in a nation. May, I'm not saying always, depending upon what it is, may need confronting the issue. Which means confronting the people. But you're confronting the issue, so you have to be very, very careful. It's very, very careful that you're confronting the issue and not the people. And the people whom you're confronting should be very clear. You know what? He's confronting the issue and not me. They should be able to see the distinction. Because if they ever feel that you're confronting them, they will not listen to your counsel. Even if you have all the facts in your hand. 
facts in your hand. You know why they listened to him? You know why they listened to him? Because they knew he had laid down his life for them. That's why they listened to him. They knew who he was. They knew where he had come from. And they saw him living among them like one of themselves, sleeping in the trenches in his working clothes. They saw him. So when he confronted him, they listened to him. They listened to him. So understand, these are all... That's why leaders should never live in ivory towers. They should not live in ivory towers. They are one with the people. One with the people. And that's what that's why the people accepted Jesus. It's the Pharisees who turned the people against him. That was a political movement, what they did. But otherwise, they had no issues with Jesus because he, they knew he was one among them. So please understand that. It will cause us, it will, it will demand us to confront the issues. And about confronting issues, whether it is, I mean, home is a different thing, but home also, principles apply. The principles apply everywhere, home, church, organization, household, okay? Household issues will be, or many homes come become a household, right? How do you resolve it? The principles are there, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, the first one, okay? Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. First is, from where does the problem go? Who is the person? Deal with one-on-one. Deal with one-on-one. If you go back to Nehemiah uh, chapter 5 and uh, verse 8. Yeah, verse 7. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers. It's After that only he calls the general assembly against them. He doesn't call the general assembly. He first deals with the people who are responsible for this. I have a feeling these are the guys who were there in uh, 3.5. Nehemiah 3.5, the nobles Nobles. of Tekoa. Okay, who refused to work. All the others worked, okay? Next to them, the Tekoids made repairs, but the nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. They said, we have done our part, we have lent. Okay, so they don't want to put dirty their hands in this. So, so it must be some of these nobles, okay? And you know what happens over there? He rebukes them, one-on-one. That's how it is happening. For First principle, Matthew eighteen fifteen. Deal it one on one, and if it can be resolved there, let it die there. It is. It doesn't have to go out. Nobody has to know it. Most of the things nobody has to know. Why does everybody have to know? Nobody has to know. Imagine you got the nobles and the lords and they all agreed and everything. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Nehemiah will think. And nobody has to know. Change is taking place. Change is taking place. No? If the husband and the wife can resolve everything in the house, why does it have to go for counseling to the pastor? There's no need. I mean, he's there, but he doesn't have to know. And if he also can't solve it, it will ultimately end in the divorce court. Why does it have to go there? Why does it have to go there? This is how things go. And why does it reach there? Because two people don't resolve it. They don't resolve it. Okay? And they are not willing to confront the issues. Like I said, no, it's like children. Like I remember one of my nieces, no? And she had an issue of eating. A lot, a lot of children are like that. Now, when you eat, they take a long time to eat. But this child will, uh, last one to finish is this child. And this child, ultimately, when he comes, the child says, I have finished. And the child finished and goes, and you're eating roti. 
and uh, you have this dining table with this benches because a large family and uh, once in a month you take the cover of the bench and clean it and under the cover is packed full of chapatis <laughs> the child is finished but it's piled under Ramadan is such a forgetful child doesn't even take it and throw it away where people cannot see no, ask Ma about our older children, how the pipe all got blocked, because the younger one says, I have finished, but is jamming it down the block, I think it's Omar or Neville or somebody, okay yeah, vegetables, they don't like vegetables so they jam it down the sink, because mommy shouldn't even see it in the sink, okay flush it, because what happens is pipes will b- b- freeze in US and will b- burst why did it burst? Because vegetables are jammed into it. <laughs> during summer, they're like the ant, busy during summer, jamming vegetables down the pipe, and then in winter the pipe bursts. Okay? So people do. What is, what is the moral of the story? You don't resolve issues, you just sweep it away under the carpet. And one day the wind comes and the carpet comes out, and the whole thing blows apart. And God says, no, deal with it. That is the principle behind scripture which says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Okay, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Mean Resolve those issues then and there itself so that it doesn't build up. Build up. A lot of people have such built up. They have, they have all kind of diseases because it is built up inside them. It is built up. They don't talk. Both sides. Either you don't talk or the other person doesn't listen. My children constant complaint is that, Dad, you never listen. <laughs> it's not that I don't listen. I do listen. Okay, but the problem is with everybody who comes to try to talk to me, whether it is family or friends, we are family and friends, is always trying to move me from scripture. And I don't listen. <laughs> okay. So just, okay. I mean, live your life. I understand your struggles. I'll give you a long rope to hang yourself. I will do all that. Okay. But, my thing is that don't make me party to your action. That you will not get me. You will never get me to approve sin in your life or my life. That is black and white over here. It's absolutely clear over there. That is not going to happen. That is not going to happen. But I always want to be seen as a man of grace. Because, and a mercy that God has shown me mercy and grace. Therefore, I will show you mercy and grace. But... Your problem is, it's not that I'm not listening to you. You want my approval. You want my approval. And that you are not going to get. You are not going. One tiny little step of faith, you will get approval immediately. Hundred thousand miles of sight is not going to get any approval from me at all. I'm sorry. You may put in hard work and great effort into that thousand miles, but it is not going. Not that I'm perfect. I'm just telling how it works. But if you resolve it on a day-to-day basis, you know what will happen. Is that, That's what it means. Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. They had no conflicts. They had no conflicts. It was. I'm, I'm not saying they could not have had conflicts. We do not have it. Everything was resolved. Everything was resolved. But once the fall came in, you will realize conflict resolution became very, very difficult. And Jesus has put it. Okay. He said, one on one. One on one. Matthew 18, 15. One on one. Yeah. Moreover, it hears you. You have gained your between you and him alone. Him and alone. Not on Facebook. Not on live TV. 
No, you don't do that. Then you are not looking for resolution. You are looking to for revenge. It's revenge. Not on group mail. You don't do stuff like that. You simply don't do stuff like that. Because it causes gossip and slander and discord, which God says he hates. And actually God hates it more than the actual problem. Let us say what these people did. Instead of dealing with the issue, he talked about it, Nehemiah. Now what they did was robbery. What Nehemiah did is murder. Okay, it's murder. Now you ask me between the, when you have uh, robbed, it can be returned. If you have bro- murdered, can you bring it back to life? No, you cannot. You cannot. That is why we have to understand there are principles involved over here where you have to be very, very careful how you do things. Verse 16. Step 2. But if he will not hear. Condition. Step 1. Between you two alone. If he will not hear, take with you one or two more. That is witnesses. Why? Because scripture says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Okay? Take it to the next step. Where it is a group of leadership elders. That is why what happens is, we see it even in Indian tradition, especially when there is an issue in the family and it cannot be resolved within the family, you call the parents. And suddenly you have a family gathering. But that, as far as possible, this is because we believe a marriage is not just with two individuals, it is also two families coming together. The parents of the, the man and the parents of the girl, they come together and they try to have a family. That is only when there were, this, when there were families. Now we have nuclear families, so families don't get involved. But which was, which we had strong family connections, they come there, sit together, and usually they call the pastors also, the boys' pastor, the girls' pastor. So they come and try to resolve it. That's what it is talking about. Okay? Talking about. And if that also does not happen, that is the next verse. Okay? That is, step two is what he does. I believe it didn't work first with the nobles. So he called an assembly. Called an assembly. Okay? Called an assembly. Or maybe they agreed, but he had to call the assembly to see that they were accountable to, because it was done to them, they were accountable to them that they are making a public promise, they would do it. We do not know, but you see the steps. But if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, then you bring to the general assembly, that's the church. Let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Cut off fellowship. There are certain things in which which are like in this where Jesus talks about. Okay? What does the Bible say? Let him to be you like a or a okay, tax collector leave it because it's talking about the the you are you are taxing your own people, joining with the oppressors. You are working for Caesar and taxing your own people. It's not that we should cut off fellowship with Pranit. Okay, he's our tax collector. Okay. <laughs> okay. He works for the income tax department. Okay, but let him be like a heathen. See, Jesus also said you cannot have fellowship with heathens. Can be friendly with them, can help them, can be your neighbor, kind to them and all. But fellowship is a very deep term in the Bible. It's a very deep, serious term in the Bible. And even Jesus' own mouth, he says, tells his children, you know, you be friendly with them, be kind to them, help them, everything. But one thing I will not accept is that you actually fellowship with them. 
You live with them the way you live with your brethren, Christian brethren. That, no, no. That is a no, no. That's Jesus. This is Jesus, okay? He's the one who is saying. Basically, cut them out. Because now the relationship has become toxic. Has become toxic. Like it has become cancerous. And if you know about other diseases and cancer, with cancer, the kind of treatment they give you for cancer, they don't give it for anything else. Because they know if you don't with this deal with this fellow, he will metastasize and take your entire body with you. Yeah, the two terms I know in medical science. One is cancer and the other is gangrene. With gangrene, they'll cut your limb off. They'll cut your limb off. Otherwise, it will spread and you will die. No, when you have a headache, nobody cuts your head off. <laughs> nobody cuts your head off, okay? Or if you have, let us say, yeah, Tylenol. Or you have an upset stomach, you don't take your intestines out. You don't do that. But with cancer and gangrene, so you have to look at the nature of the conflict. Of the conflict and deal with accordingly. Go through these stages. Go through these stages. Okay. And that's what he's doing in Nehemiah 7 and 8. He's very angry and 7 and 8, he's dealing with it. Hmm? After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. We called the entire community to come. Okay. Now look at this thing. Because we are not, we are not going into all those verses. Look at this thing. The fundamental principles is that, can you be corrected? Can you be corrected? That's the problem. All these methods are there. (laughs) But the problem is, can you be corrected? Can you be corrected? So I called a great assembly. Can you be corrected? And who can be corrected? Go to verse 9 before we go to verse 8. Okay, verse 9. I said, then I said, what you're doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God? That's the first thing. Who can be corrected? Those who fear God. Those who fear God can be corrected. Those who do not fear God cannot be corrected. You know the division in the church is between, not between people who love God and people who do not love God. Everybody loves God. That's why they come to, come to church. But those who fear God and those who do not fear God. Okay, those who fear God and those who do not. And you will, you will not, you will know that those who fear God can always be corrected. That's why God could, uh, correct, uh, David. Could correct David. I, I always, I remember the, one of the times when I was studying that word st- struck in my memory. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 6. You can remember when David is bringing the ark? No, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Okay? Yeah, 8 and 9. 8 and 9. You know, he was so upset that Uzzah died. He said, I'm doing all this for God. And I'm making this 30,000 soldiers, his pomp and show to bring the ark. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord. It's good to be angry and to be afraid. Angry and ponder. These are all good combinations. Okay, I was very angry and I pondered. He was angry and he was afraid of the Lord. Afraid of the Lord. Okay. So that fear of God is our protection. That we will receive correction. 
And that's what is bringing over this. It's no fear of God. And then like I taught on that Saturday within Nepali church, that is something which you have to ask. It doesn't automatically come. What automatically comes is the, you are not, it's not a fear of God, you are afraid of God. These are two different terms. So let's go to Exodus 20.20. These are two different terms. People do, do not have the fear of God, they are afraid of God. Moses said to people, do not fear, for God has come to test you. And that is, fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. Let's have it in NIV. If I'm right in NIV, we'll use the word afraid. Okay? Yeah, do not be afraid. God has come to test you, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. What is being afraid? Afraid is about punishment. Okay? You know, children grow up, when they're growing up, they're very afraid of their father. Because he's angry, he's tough, he beats them up, everything, discipline is very tough, and they don't do anything wrong because they are afraid. But when they grow up and they know they are out of God, their father's control, they don't, they're not afraid anymore and they will do whatever they want to do. You cannot stop them. The father also knows he has no power to stop them. This is the difference. This is the difference. And God does not want us to be afraid of him. But he wants us to fear him. It may look, the words are the similar. They are not the similar. They are not the similar. One is from the Spirit of God. There's a holy reverence for the person and the things of that person. Things of that person. It's a reverence for that person and the things of that person. And that's what the Bible is saying. And that's what David is, Moses is talking about. Do not be afraid. They saw the thunder, the lightning, the fire, the smoke. Oh, we are not coming. You go. Don't be afraid. He's not come to kill you. He's come to save you. Don't be afraid of him. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. And we have to ask for that, Lord. Lord, Lord, baptize me with the fear of the Lord. Baptize me with the fear of the Lord. Every day, Lord, give me, Lord. You know, Lord, I struggle. I really, really struggle, Lord. Give me. There are lots of things which God will give us if we ask. And this is, and that's what he brings over there. He says, there is no, verse 9 of Nehemiah 5, you have no, no. Should you not walk in the fear of our God? Because of the reproach of the nations of our enemies? Just think about it. He says, wait a second, wait a second, all you nobles and rulers, wait a second. Why are we like this? Why are we like this? Why is our condition like this? Do you remember what our fathers told us? You know what Moses told us? And look at our condition. Look at our condition. Aren't we like this? Hasn't God's word come to pass? And you still have no fear? You have no fear? Go back to verse 8. Verse 8. He said, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now, indeed, will you even sell your brethren so they should be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. He's, he's saying something. He says, do you know? He says, do you know? We were in Babylon, including me, he say, who were rich, who had money. Do you know what we did? We used our money, freed our Jewish brethren who were slaves, sent them back to Israel so they could be free. And you know what you did? You used their poverty and you have bought them and you're selling them. You understand what he's talking about? He says, what are you doing? What are you doing? He says, what are you doing? Think about it. No, think about it. These are fundamental lessons, okay, which, which God is talking about. You know, there's a powerful lesson in chapter, verse 8, 
which is connected with what Paul will talk about. He says this, okay? I should not use my liberty to cause somebody to fall. I have liberty. I've been set free from the power of sin. Thank you, Lord. So I'm able to do a lot of things which doesn't affect me. But I always have to be careful. I look at another younger brother and the weaker brother and I look at it and says, you know what? I have been freed. Now I should not use my freedom to sell that person into captivity. I have to be very, very careful. Very, very careful about these things. And we, many believers, strong believers will be indicted for that sin. That you put a stumbling block before a weaker brother or sister in the church. You could you, It didn't affect you. But because you were not careful, it affected somebody else and they fell away. He says, you know what? We used our liberty and our resources to free. Yeah, it's gone off. Yeah, uh, it uh, to, to free. But you know what? Yeah, it's come back. Come back. You know what you did? He said, you have sold your own brethren. Sold your own brother. If you really, if you really want to grow deeper in the Lord and the, the the understand the heart of God, we have to go into these verses and understand spiritually what does it mean to me today. What does it mean to me today? This we are not talking about our salvation. Salvation is free. We are talking about our sanctification. We are talking of sanctification. We are talking about prayers being answered. You know, yesterday, not yesterday. Uh, that words, uh, uh, the, if, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, yeah, we know that. It's okay, it's okay. You know, we know that. It's about talking about Elijah. Okay, Elijah. For Elijah to first to hear from God, this is my will for this nation, we don't know how long it took. <coughs> how long it took. Okay, how long it took. And he went to the king and told but he's still not ready to stand before the prophets of Baal at Carmel. It took him three and a half years to get him ready. First alone, one on one. Then he had to go to a poor widow. One is called Kerith, which is, means cutting away. The other means Zarephath, which means refining. What is being cut away? What is being refined? He had to go and live in a community that is a widow, a poor widow and her son. Alone is one thing. He said, that's okay. You have been with alone, I cut part of your flesh. But now the rest cannot be cut off alone. You have to live in a family and be involved in their poverty, in their struggles, in their problems. Otherwise, the rest of the work cannot be done. And we will say, what is this God to do? He says, then only you will be able to stand. Then only, then only your prayer will be effective. Then only your prayer can be answered by me. So we are talking about, Elijah might think he's ready to pray. God says, you're not ready to pray. And I'm not ready to hear. You have to become that person whose prayer I will hear. And he's put in two situations. One-on-one with God and with a family. With a family. And people who don't fellowship can never pray. People who do not get intimately involved with the problems of others can never become an intercessor. Will never become an intercessor. It is not possible for you to become an intercessor. Elijah cannot stand in the gap for the people and to bring God's mercy upon the nation unless he has encountered the poor widow in Samaria and her son. Literally has to bring her dead son back to life. These are principles in the kingdom of God. 
This is not name it and claim it things. Those things don't happen in the kingdom of God. When it comes to real, real serious issues in life, you will realize all the naming and all the claiming and all the promises, nothing seems to happen. And God says, why is nothing happening? He says, you would not have become the man I wanted you to become. You have not become the woman I want you to become. I'm waiting for you to grow. Go to grow. My answer is always yes and amen. That's what the Bible says. The fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man. This is not the imputed righteousness of God. This is the man in whom the imputed righteousness of God has grown to the level which God expects. And this is what the man, and that's what he is saying. You know what? We have become a reproach. We have become a reproach to our enemies. We become a reproach. Right? There's no fear of God. And look at the reproach. What does it mean? It means, in simple terms, every one of us, every one of us, is a witness to somebody's life. We are not, I am not a witness to my life. Then there is no problem. That is my life. You don't like it. That's your problem. This is my life. We are all a witness to his life. That is, you shall be my witnesses. This is the problem. I and you are called to be the witnesses of the life of Christ Jesus. And this is the issue. Listen carefully. So many people do not want to do anything with God. Not because God has been mean to them. Because they have never encountered God, but they have encountered God's people who are very poor witnesses and concluded God is not good. Concluded God is not good. I don't want anything to do with God. Is God bad? Have you encountered God? No. But I have encountered Christians. That's enough. That's exactly what Gandhi also said. He carried the gospel in his pocket all the time. He says, I love Christ. <laughs> he said, I got serious issues with Christians. Okay. And we need to realize that's our issue too. We are poor witnesses. Poor witnesses. And we've been called. So what is the answer? The answer is the Holy Spirit. More power, Lord. I need more power, Lord. I need more power. And he says, I will give you spirit without measure, you know. I was listening just this morning after I finished and I was listening to an old man, dead and gone since years and years ago. He's saying, when God says, I will give you the spirit without measure, do you even, can we even even figure out what it is? He says, if a man, demon-possessed man, can have a legion of demons in him, how much of the spirit can your spirit hold? If 7,000 demons can be inside one man, that's also spiritual. How much of the Holy Spirit are you carrying? Is the question he asks. Okay. I thought it's a very powerful question. I, said, I, never, I never ever thought about it that way. A man can carry 7,000 demons and we carry one drop of the Holy Spirit and we say we are filled. And God says no. God says no. What is the answer? The answer to witness is always Christ. He, he, we see Holy Spirit and He says out of your belly shall flow rewards of, that's our witness. 
That's our witness. This is not make to make people miserable. Yes, if it takes us to God. Not to keep us miserable. In our misery, we have to turn to God and say, you know what, I don't want to be a reproach, Lord. I want to be a true witness. Because what we are of in a court of law, you know you will get punished if you give false witness. You give false witness. In a court of law, I swear to say nothing but the truth. Okay? Help me, God. Help me, whichever hand it is, help me, God. Okay? You're a true witness. And if the court finds you that you have given false witness, you could go to, you, 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 you could go to prison. Now you are not the, that, that is not the convict now. Now you need the mercy of the judge. Though he's the one who's being judged, you gave false witness. And imagine, think about that alone. Why we need, why the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. You know why? Yesterday I was a false witness. And I need mercy this morning. I didn't do anything. I was a false witness to his life. False witness. Honestly, think about it. Aren't we false witnesses? No, aren't we false witnesses? And that's what the Bible is talking. That's what he's talking about. Basically, he's telling the nobles of that place, the rulers, and what's the difference between you and the Babylonians? They overcame us and sold us. You sold without overcoming. You used their poverty to buy them and sell them. Who is worse in this situation? Who is worse? No? Who is worse? No? And that's what he's talking about. We become false witnesses. Okay? So it does not, this is where it is important. Like we need to know what is happening. We need to know what is happening in the home. We need to know what is happening in the church. We need to know what is happening in the organization. We need to know. So it does not matter how wonderful the worship is, how great the sermon is, if people will stay or not is always determined by fellowship. Always determined by fellowship. If people have to stay, it's determined by fellowship. Especially during this age of live streaming. I can, I can participate in worship and the word from home, but I don't like your fellowship. I don't like your fellowship. We need to understand this is, this is key. This is key. It can be a home, a church, a business, a nation. Okay, it can. And that's where all these principles have been put together. And fear of God is part of fellowship. Because the fear of God makes you not do certain things. And the fear of God causes you to do certain things. Both. It's not just the love of God. It's a nice two wings. You need the love of God and you need the fear of God. That is balanced. A lot of people have love of God. Only one-winged birds we become. And others have the fear of God and no love of God. God says no. You need both. No? So godly confrontation is a must in many situations. Not hasty, but godly. Which will lead to conviction. What did the Bible say? They were all quiet. 
they were all silent. They did not have a word to say. Let's look at that. Eight. Uh, okay. I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brother. You know what he first says that? He says, you know what you did? I'm not guilty of that. I am not guilty of that. On the other hand, I went the other way. He said, you know what you guys did? You guys used your wealth to oppress your brother. I used my wealth to liberate my brother. What did you use it for is the question. So they were silenced. Silenced. They had nothing to say. God is saying, like I said, we have money. Some people have money. Some people have power. Some people have influence. You may have something. Whatever God has given you. God says, what did you use it for? Did you use to oppress or did you use to liberate? He says, I used my money and my influence to liberate my Jewish brother. Because by the time you reach the king's cupbearer, you are wealthy. You are, you are talking about Babylonian empire. He's got, probably he's got his own mansion, palace, wealth, everything. You know what he used it for? He used it for to liberate his brother. That's what I said. Nobody till today, even ancient cultures had it, but it was pointless. Nobody has ever taken a single coin from here when they die. Nobody has taken even their clothes. Nobody has taken anything from here to the other world. Naked I came, naked I go. Okay? So everything God is giving us is is to worship. We will be judged for our stewardship. Did he use it to liberate or did he use to oppress? And he's saying, I used to liberate. And he says, what are you doing? And you know what? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. This is how confrontation took place. There is a righteous anger. There is a season, maybe, I don't know, a day or two. He took, pondered about it. He prayed about it. He thought about it. And when he confronted it, there is conviction. No retaliation. There is conviction. They are convicted. They are convicted. No? So God has given us. God has given us. No? God has given us ways how to handle. I'm not saying every time you do, there will be conviction. But you can be, I and you can be sure, the method I employed is right in the eyes of God. That's, we need to be vindicated by God. The result is in God's hands. That's what Paul says, Paul plans, Apollos waters, but increases in God's hands. God only can give increase. Man cannot give. I cannot become, bring a resolution. Resolution is in God's hands. I can hear, I can pray, I can preach, but conviction is in the hands of the Holy Spirit. If I have done my part, I have prayed, I have done my work and preached under the anointing and nobody is convicted, I am still guiltless before God. Because I have done my part. I have done my part. But, God can bring conviction. The Bible says they were silent. They had nothing to say because it brings conviction. They are quiet. Why is conviction important? Because conviction will lead us from making a bad decision or cause us to change our bad decision. One way. Either it will cause us not to make a bad, I'm not going that way. Or I'm sorry I went that way. I'm changing course. That is where at the end of that, there has to be conviction. Okay? We need conviction. We'll stop there. We just did 
three verses, I think that's enough. Because the next, next verses, they're all loaded verses. How he handles issues. How he handles issues. And he probably, he himself never knew this is all would be one day become biblical doctrine. How to resolve issues. How to resolve issues. Okay, so get this fundamentals very, very clear. We have to get angry when there is injustice. But we don't immediately jump into the situation. No, slow to anger, quick to listen. Okay, slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. Because the wrath of man does not bring forth the righteousness of God. That's what James said. And you see, this is not the wrath of man. What he's exemplifying is the wrath of God. And it brings forth the righteousness of God. Righteousness of God. And you will see, whenever Jesus was angry in the temple, what happened at the end of the day? The temple is clean. Second time, at the end of his ministry, temple is clean. At the synagogue, he's so angry and grieved. At the end of the day, a man's hand is made whole. That is the key. We bring wholeness. We don't bring more damage. We bring wholeness into that situation. Some people may not agree, but the rest of it always will say, okay, so you know, I was encouraged by the way it was done. I was encouraged. I was blessed by it. Now I know how to handle my issues when it comes or how I should handle these issues. There's a wholeness that comes and we have to look at. That is the way healing takes place. That's the way healing takes place. So we learn from Nehemiah. We can, we don't, we don't skirt over those things. Why do we learn all these things? You know why? Because everybody wants to pray. But the Bible says, there is effective prayer. Effective prayer. When you have resolved the conflicts in our lives, and we have peace with God and peace with man, our prayers are heard by God. Prayers, like I tell pastors from 1 Peter 3 and the word 7 or 8. Especially pastors, I tell them. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Most people, see most people are uh, blaming the devil for stuff which he doesn't do. Not that he doesn't want to do, he doesn't have to do, because we do it without his sanction and permission. Let me give you a simple example. So people understand that we become effective prayers. Go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, 20, 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lividness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention. That's enough, that's enough. That is still too much. Jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies. Now go back to 19 and read it once again. Works of the? Does it say works of the devil? The devil has never committed adultery till today. It's a work of the? So don't blame him for what you did. That's what Jesus says. If you have no flesh, the devil has no work. Okay. Sometimes we blame him for the work we do. And he says, Lord, they are accusing me. (laughs) They are accusing me. These are not the works of the devil. He can only tempt you. He can only tempt me. These are my works. 
outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, jealousy. These are not the works of, they are not called the works of the devil. These are called the works of the flesh. And the question is, where is the flesh? In me. It is in me. The flesh is in me. You cannot bind it. You cannot cast it away. You cannot do any of those things with the flesh. The only thing you can do with your flesh is put it to death. Okay, Put it to death. And how do you put it to death? That is one thing we are looking today. You have a conflict. Where does the conflict come from? Your flesh. Your flesh. How do you do it? You have to resolve it the way where flesh is put to silence. All the nobles and rulers were silence. Flesh has nothing to speak. Because the spirit came and spoke. Spoke, took time, was a righteous anger, pondered about it, got the facts of the matter, addressed the situation, flesh is silent. And now everybody's spirit rises up and they all are willing to make changes. That's the way it is. And you cannot change these things. It's, it's an easy escape to blame the devil for everything. You know? <laughs> but uh, God says no. He's called tempter, he's called slanderer, he's called liar, he's got all, he's called all these names, but he doesn't do it directly. Doesn't do it directly. He does it through. Come honey, now let us pray. As we take our prayer request before the Lord this morning, what we are asking God is, Lord, make us effective witnesses. We don't want to be a false witness, Lord. Tired. No, we are tired of being false witnesses. No? Bible says, thou shalt not bear false witness. False witness. You can be unmarried. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Father. We just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. I believe, Lord, every day, early morning, when you went to pray, you were contending with your flesh first. And when you were sure your flesh had been completely put to death, you heard from your father, and when you came down, your ministry was very easy. For the spirit was flowing unhindered. You have given us your Holy Spirit, and it is our flesh that stops the spirit from moving. That we have no witness. There's no river of life flowing. Often our witness is stinking. Waters that have collected never flowed. Stinking with flesh. Like dead fish floating. Corrupted by the nature of the old man. We cannot be witnesses, Lord. We cannot be that kind of witnesses, Lord. Our witness have to have power. We should be able to stand out on the streets of the world and say like your servants Peter and John, gold and silver we do not have. But what we have, we give it to you. What they had was your spirit. The witness of your spirit and the power of your spirit. Oh Father, that's what we pray, Lord. That day is very close, I believe, Lord. You will pour out your spirit. Men and women and children will walk this land. Nations will turn to Christ because God will have a powerful 
and a living witness, Lord. Not a false witness, a true witness. Today our prayer is that we have so many requests, yes, Lord, every day coming in. But our greatest request is, Lord, oh, Father, make us a true witness of your life. For your word says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. You said through your prophet Isaiah, darkness, great darkness had come upon the nations. But Lord, that your light would come upon your people. But that life has to be our witness. It is not some artificial shining glory on our faces. It is the life of Jesus that will be the true witness that will be a witness to them, Lord. Make us true witnesses today, Lord. Make us true witnesses. Help us to resolve the conflicts in us first. Help us to be single-minded, oh God, one mind. Putting you first in all things. Yes, you gave us that words to build the church on, our churches. That in all things, Christ Jesus should have preeminence. That single mind give us, Lord. That whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God. Whatever we do, we go it's for do is his glory with all our strength. Whatever we do, we seek your kingdom and your righteousness. Give us that single mind, Lord. Help us to resolve the conflicts in our homes. For the two shall no longer be two. They shall be one. But how can we be one if our minds are divided? If the husband is going in one direction and the wife in another direction. Help us, Lord, help us, help us, Lord, help us to resolve these conflicts. Help the church to be one. For on the day of Pentecost, when the day had fully come, the Bible says they were in one place, in one accord, and the Holy Spirit came upon all of them. And we pray, we sing, make us one, Lord. Make us whole, Lord. Many, when you walked on earth, were healed. But a few were made whole. We are going beyond healing today, Lord. We are asking for wholeness in our lives. Wholeness in our homes. Wholeness in our churches. Make us whole, Lord. Make us whole. Empower us to put to death this flesh that there are no works of the flesh for the flesh is put to death each day Lord empower us Lord empower us